evidence and answers. Monica Klein spent many years as a Title X training manager and educator for Planned Parenthood. She counseled many girls in safe sex and encouraged many to have an abortion for their unwanted pregnancy. After coming to faith in Christ, her life was transformed, and now she boldly exposes the truth behind comprehensive sex education and the harm it causes our children, families, and community. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zugran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our show, Pat and his guest, Monica Klein, will expose the truth behind comprehensive sex education and explain how parents can get equipped to meet this challenge. Now with part one of Comprehensive Sex Education is Pat Zucharin. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Comprehensive sex education is taught in our public and many of our private schools today. What values are they promoting to our children today? How can we prepare our children for the challenges they will face when it comes to sexuality on campus? Well, to address these issues today is our guest, Monica Klein. Monica is a formal Title X family planning training manager and volunteer educator who once worked for Planned Parenthood, but today she boldly espouses the truth behind comprehensive sex education and the harm it causes to our children, families, and communities. Her goal is to encourage parents to reclaim parenthood and become their children's greatest advocate and educator. So, Monica, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Oh, thank you for having me on your show. Well, Monica, you were a former comprehensive sex educator trained by the LGBTQ and Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. So, tell us, how were you trained and explain to us, you know, the philosophy of CSC and their distorted view of children? Oh, goodness. Well, that training began when I volunteered and then was quickly employed by an HIV organization that um, also happened to be a gay organization. And this was in the 90s, and so it was, you know, many of us were very obviously concerned about the HIV epidemic. And I was in my 20s, just right out of college, and I really wanted to make a difference. I wanted to reach, um, you know, what people consider to be high-risk populations, and I wanted to help them and ensure that they would not get infected with the HIV virus. And so, you know, I was really doing this with a heart of compassion. But what I quickly found out, you know, and looking back, of course, I began to realize that when we make compassionate moves without truth, an absolute truth, then we can lead into some very dangerous paths. And so what I ended up learning was very much a public health message, and it's called risk reduction. Basically, uh, people will be involved in high-risk behaviors like intravenous drug use or sex outside of marriage. And instead of helping people to avoid those risks, risk reduction education, which is also comprehensive sex education, says, go ahead, continue doing the high-risk activity. We'll just teach you how to do it safer by using, you know, contraceptives, barrier methods, cleaning your needles, things Mm -hmm. like that. So that is the world that I lived in for over 10 years. My first job was to literally walk the streets of high-risk neighborhoods talking about sex and telling people how they could use barrier methods to reduce Mm -hmm. their risk. Now, what ended up happening, of course, is that ultimately it's not a matter of 
if you'll get infected, but it's a matter of when. And so what this sex education does is it says, all right, use this. It's going to reduce your risk. And then what happens is that because we know it's a matter of when you're going to get infected, then they, start, they say you have to get tested every three to six months and then start that process all over again. And so comprehensive sex education has this philosophy, this belief that everyone is going to be sexually active. It is a judgment to tell, especially children even, to not be sexually active. And so really it's just to encourage them to use risk reduction methods. So as I was doing this kind of work, within a few months of working at this HIV organization, Planned Parenthood called and they were just across the street from my office and they said, we want you to come over and so we can teach you how to teach this to children. And so I walked across the street to Planned Parenthood and the director of sex education sat me down and she ended up becoming my mentor. And she sat me down and told me about all the horror stories of young girls coming into the clinic as young as 10. And, and, and you, Patrick, these were pretty graphic, sad situations that these girls were coming in for abortions, getting treated for diseases, and, and many other things. And so my first reaction was, this is awful. These girls are 10, you know, they're yeah, very, very wow. young. I said, you've convinced me that this is a problem. And my first reaction was, teach me how to teach these girls not to have sex. How do we keep them safe from these situations? And she patted me on the knee and she said, no, dear, we're not going to teach them not to have sex. We're just going to teach them how to do it safer. We meet them where they're at and we teach them how to do it safer. So their belief is that the children are already sexually active. And if they are, it would be very judgmental for us to make them stop. Now, Patrick, when you're seeing cases of 10-year-old girls coming into your clinic, posing with all these health problems, that is not consent. These girls are way too young. Yes. I did learn over the mm-hmm. years that they did not view minor girls having sex, either with peers of their own age or adult men, as wrong. And that was part of their distorted view of our children. And so the next lesson that she taught me was when you walk into a room full of children in a classroom, you know, we're about to teach them sex education, you have to imagine that they've done anything and everything when it comes to sex. And if they haven't, they will. And it's your job as a sex educator to teach them all forms of sex so that you can teach them how to reduce their risk. And so this education is very graphic. It is taking a public health approach called risk reduction, and it's using that as justification to teach children about all sorts of sexual activity. And it gives the children this false belief that sex is expected in childhood. And the children, as we know, are very moldable, very impressionable, and if the authority in your classroom, the professional in the classroom, is telling you that this is what is expected and that this is what your life will be like and these are ways to keep yourself safe, they're not going to question that. And so the children begin to learn that. And a lot of the first activity that she taught me to do with the children was what she called an icebreaker. And so she explained to me, she said, listen, these children are sexually active, but they're not going to admit that to you. So you have to break down their inhibitions so that they're comfortable talking to you about sex and what they're doing. I think there is a lie in that, Patrick. I don't think these kids were actually sexually active at that age. But she was right that this icebreaker was to break down their inhibitions. Mm. So this icebreaker, which is common in, in many comprehensive sex education programs, 
is asking the children to call out the names of their body parts, that they can use slang. It doesn't matter as long as they call out the name of their body parts, of course, their reproductive body parts. And so it quickly becomes very crass, as you can imagine. Some of the children are shy. They don't participate. But when they see that other children are calling out these names and the instructor is writing them on the board and that no one's getting in trouble, majority of the kids continue with calling out crass, you know, names for their body parts. So by the end of the activity, you see a whiteboard full of crass names for their body parts, which is very dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. And it starts to break down their inhibition that it's okay for them to talk about sexual topics in this manner and with an adult that they don't even know and with each other. And once that they're able, once they've gone through that activity, it makes it easier then for that educator to continue into more and more graphic instruction. It was at a time in my life that I didn't, you know, I I wasn't a Christian at the time. I had been molded by the world myself. And I trusted this educator. I trusted this, you know, director of sex education of Planned Parenthood. I mean, they're receiving government funding. This was a government-funded program. If it's legal, then it must be okay. And so that's how I rationalized it. And I think that's how many parents rationalize it as well. Yes, you, you know, you bring up a very important point. You know, there's no such thing as safe sex. Right. Only what we would say is safer sex but often, you know, you're only talking about the physical. When you're in sexual relationships that aren't fully committed uh, love relationships, there's a lot of mental, spiritual, and emotional damage that occurs. And it's really, you pay the price later on in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a great point, Patrick, is that comprehensive sex education does not address the emotional risk that children are taking when they become sexually active. There is research out there that shows that children who are sexually active at a, at a young age, that they do experience more issues with depression and suicidal ideation. And so, you know, when I do my work today, which is obviously very different, we could talk about that conversion in a bit, mm-hmm. you know, I really emphasize that it's important that this is an edu- education that needs to be happening at the home. And it does not have to be graphic. So when I say parents, you know, take this information and, or not take this information, but teach your children about God's will for marriage and God's will for sexual intimacy, it is not supposed to look like comprehensive sex education. Now, if parents are wanting something in the public school system because they are concerned about, you know, the children who may not have a faith or may not have parents who are there to, you know, give them the guidance that they need, then I definitely advocate for sexual risk avoidance programs. And those programs do take a child's emotional state, their developmental stage into account. And they're very careful in wanting to ensure that the children are both physically and emotionally safe. Yes, well, man, you are steeped uh, in this program here. What led you out of this world and, and to Christ? Oh, well, the truth is that, you know, I did that for 10 years. And in that time frame, you know, I, I didn't just teach comprehensive sex education. I believed in it, and I also lived it. And so I found myself also experiencing an unplanned pregnancy. And comprehensive sex education definitely teaches that you are to get tested for disease in pregnancy, and then your options after that are to be treated for the disease and then to handle that pregnancy with an abortion. And so it just becomes this automatic response. 
So when I became pregnant outside of marriage, I immediately scheduled an abortion. But I had a good friend who I had gone to college with, and she had experienced an abortion when she was in college, and and I had been there with her and comforted her through after that. And I called her. At this point, she was already married and had children. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant, but I have an abortion. And she ignored the abortion part and started celebrating my pregnancy. And I thought she hadn't heard me. And so I said, no, no, I have a, an abortion scheduled already. And she said, oh, don't worry about that. And she just continued to celebrate. And she started to humanize my child. And I, I don't think she had a strategy. She, I think she was just really happy for me and started to imagine my child as a little boy or as a little girl and the color of its skin or the texture of its hair. And, you know, and after a while, I thought, well, why am I not happy about this? You know, I do have a full-time job, and, you know, I, I could have this baby. And, and then I realized, well, my parents would be very ashamed of me. Um, I come from a traditional Hispanic family. This would definitely be very shameful for my family, and they'd be very angry. But then it occurred to me, because my friend had humanized my child in that phone conversation, and I was thinking all this while she was still talking on the phone, and I thought, am I really going to kill my child because my parents are going to be angry or ashamed? And I thought, wow, no, I, I can't take my child's life for that reason. That's, that's ridiculous. And I told my friend, I said, you're right, I'm, I'm going to have this baby. And she said, yeah, I know. So I canceled that appointment. I, my son is now 21 years old. And, well, you know, as soon as I accepted his life as a real life, I became a mama bear and a year after he was born, I felt God, I know it sounds strange, but I, I felt God calling me to him. And I left that life and I went to church and I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And Patrick, after that happened, my life completely changed. And he took the scales from my eyes. And as I was returning to work, I was realizing what was really happening with these programs and how it was truly affecting children and families in these high-risk communities. And I began to realize that this was not an answer, but that it was actually keeping families in a dark place, that they were not flourishing because they were slowly dying to this kind of lifestyle. Mm. Because as you said before, it doesn't just affect you physically, it affects you emotionally. And, you know, I, I was the director of, at this point, I was the director of a prevention program for both women and men who have sex with men. Uh, I was working in the transgender community, and I had gone to the CDC and gotten trained on evidence-based interventions, and I was implementing those infer- in, you know, interventions in my community. And I invited the community to come in to take an assessment that was part of our program. And I had a woman come in, and in exchange for doing the assessment, I was going to give her an HEB gift card, a grocery gift card. And the questions for comprehensive sex education are very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to know if you use condoms or not, because that is the primary way to reduce the risk of getting HIV and other STDs. So I asked her those questions. Do you use condoms? If you don't, why not? And her answers, Patrick, were very honest, and she said, no, I don't use them. So I asked why not, and she said, well, if I don't, I get paid more if I don't use a condom, and if I have one child, I get food stamps, and if I have two children, I get a place to live. Mm. And at that moment, I realized, as a Christian, my first thought was, she needs Christ. Mm. And I knew that that prevention program that the CDC wanted me to implement and help her with 
would not address her reasons for her lifestyle. And it really broke my heart, and I realized I'm in the wrong line of work. (laughs) This is not going to help this community. And if anything, we're just helping this community slowly die. And I saw more and more of that every day. But I don't think I could have seen those things had it not been for God in my life. Next thing I know, Planned Parenthood is admitting to me at a conference that they did not view young girls who were having sex with adult men as victims of human trafficking. Wow. And I, I, you know, mm-hmm. my job was to teach them how to identify victims of human trafficking for their grant, their Title X grant. And they kept dismissing all of my lessons, all of the ways to identify this, this young girl. And I said, I don't understand. Why are you refusing to see her as a victim? Why are you refusing to report? And an older nurse raised her hand, and she said, Honey, if she's not with this man this month, she'll be with another one next month. And they all agreed. And this was a training for the Planned Parenthoods of Southern Texas. So I had several clinics there, you know, hundreds of clinicians and staff, and they all agreed. And they basically let me know that they believed that these girls were choosing this. It's what they wanted and that they were not victims. So that was the last straw for me. I realized that they had a very distorted view of our children, a very distorted view of sex. And in in comprehensive sex education, it meets people, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. where they're at, but it leaves them there with the false security that they'll be okay. But I realized as a Christian that if we do the work through Christ, we meet people where they're at. But what God does is he leads us into an abundant life. And so I chose to finally quit. And I actually thought, you know, God, how did I, how did I not know? How was I deceived for so long? And I felt so ashamed about the work I had done. And, you know, I was very successful at trainings and creating workshops and speaking in front of people and and I thought, you know, you've given me this gift to be able to speak in front of people, and I used it to, to harm people. And I really thought, you're not, you know, I thought, I told God, like, you're probably never going to let me speak again. But within a year, I was sharing my testimony at different pro-life groups. And, Patrick, that became very important because here's the truth about comprehensive sex education. It is the marketing tool and the vehicle that leads to abortion. Planned Parenthood and all these organizations that are pushing comprehensive sex education, they need comprehensive sex education because it's how they recruit their customers for life for abortion. And now it's how they recruit customers, which is children, to teach them to explore various sexual orientations and gender fluidity, which also means that they're going to be collecting more money for those services in the clinics and for also dispensing puberty blockers for children who believe they might be gender dysphoric. And so this has become a huge business for them, not only in our country, but across the globe. And it's very important that parents understand that comprehensive sex education does not have the very best interest in mind for your children, and that there's only one population who cares more for your children, and that is the parent, and of course, their creator, God. And so this is why I created It Takes a Family, because Planned Parenthood always told me at their conferences that parents are a barrier to service. They know that as soon as a parent is involved in their child's life, Mm. or as soon as a parent knows that her child is going to the Planned Parenthood clinic, that parent protects the child, and Planned Parenthood never sees that child again. Wow. So they, 
do everything that they can to counsel children in schools, through their workshops, online, to gain their trust and confidence. They know that the children are afraid to ask these questions of their parents. They know that if they do become sexually active, which sometimes happens, of course, and they start to, you know, they're afraid for their parents to find out about it because they're afraid their parents are going to get angry, like I thought my parents would get angry at me. And so Planned Parenthood knows that. So they have great ways of counseling these children, and they'll say things like, we know that your mom and dad might be mad about this, but you know what? We can provide you this health care, and your parents will never know about it. And so they want to purposely wedge themselves between parents and children. And this is why I started It Takes a Family, because it's important that parents are the primary educators leading the moral upbringing of their children. And if parents are afraid that they don't know enough, then I'm more than happy to provide provide them with the information that they need so that they can be teaching their children. Wow. You know, I hope everyone is uh, listening to this because, you know, Monica, before, you know, when I spoke in churches around the country, I took it for granted, you know, everyone in the audience is pro-life. And that was true maybe 20 years ago. But nowadays when I'm speaking in churches, I get surprised, and I shouldn't be, by how many doctors and nurses are working for Planned Parenthood. You know, and how they, I get shocked and I shouldn't, I should be more prepared. But every time I get shocked with nurses or doctors raising their hands saying, you know, how dare you say, I work for Planned Parenthood, you know, and all that. And are you seeing that in churches and among Christians that you speak at, that they're really not aware of what's going on in Planned Parenthood? Yes. Well, and I'll say that when um, I was working in that industry, I was not a Christian but I did become a Christian about halfway, like at five years, I became a Christian. And I still worked in that industry for another five years. It took quite a long time for God to slowly, you know, change me and help me to see what was happening. I I sometimes wonder, why did he take so long? Mm. You know, I shouldn't question that. But the truth is, is I'm, I'm also grateful about my perspective because now I can really share that with others as well. And I still come from all of this from, from a place of grace. But I believe that many times, you know, as we know that the enemy uses a little bit of truth to then twist things around. Right. And the truth is, is are our children, even Christian children, becoming sexually active? Yes, that's true. Are they curious? Yes, that's true. We all sin. We all make a mistake. And so that is being utilized by the field of comprehensive sex education. And I think that many times even Christians who are working in that field think, well, but what about those kids who are sexually active? And so, you know, so that's a little bit of truth. And so they start to justify that this is the only way that we can help. And this is why we need to become more active, proactive as parents and as the church to address these issues. Because if we continue to wag our finger, and I'm not saying that all people do that, but if we don't know how to address these issues, if we don't know how to address the sin in a grace-filled way, then our children, unfortunately, will end up being counseled by these other organizations. And I think many of these adults are just justifying and rationalizing why this work needs to continue. And like I said, I think a lot of times we start to rationalize and justify it because we think, well, there are issues going on in the world, the church is not addressing them, and this is a public health message that's being funded by the government. So it must be okay, but it's not. It's actually slowly harming the people in those communities. 
you know, and I've often thought and I've been praying that God will help me go back to those communities again that are considered high risk for STDs and HIV and unplanned pregnancy because that is where the church belongs. Yeah, you're right. Well, Monica, you know, comprehensive sex education is taught in our schools and in our universities. And what is it that's being taught and and what options do parents have? Well, what's being taught is the, you know, one, it's a risk reduction message. So it's basically saying because it's a government program, it is void of, there are no morals is what they're saying. You know, we're not going to judge anybody. You can do anything that you want. We're just going to teach you how to do it safer. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You will also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Amen.